Welcome to The Sword and the Trial, a podcast of Founders Ministries. Founders Ministries exists for the recovery of the gospel and the reformation of churches. I'm Jared Longshore. I'm Tom Askell. Thanks for listening to The Sword and the Trial today. So glad to have you with us. And we would love to have you with us in January at our conference on the doctrine of God. We are very excited about this conference. I believe it's January 21 through 23. Is that right? That's correct. Yes. And we're going to have, you're going to be preaching. I'm going to be preaching. We're going to have Vody Bauckham here to preach. We're going to have Chad Vegas here to preach. We're going to have James Dolezal here to preach. We're going to have Virgil Walker and Daryl Harrison with us from the Just Thinking podcast. They're going to do a live podcast with them called Just Thinking About the Sword and the Trial. Um, God and the state, and we need a recovery of the doctrine of God. It is uh, in danger, and uh, it has impact upon everything else, and so we're looking forward to that time together. Sadly, we are actually at full capacity right now, but we do have a waiting list that you can sign up on, and we are diligently working to find uh, a way to provide more space, and we're hopeful at this yeah. point that that might happen. You know, I mean, it, it's, a, it's one of those good news, bad news deals when you go to the registration page and it says sold out. So, you know, praise God that there's that much interest in the conference and we have so many friends that are making preparations to come join us. But it is sad to have to see people on a waiting list, which I think is over 130, 140, something like that now. And that continues to increase daily. So the waiting list is something that if you have interest in going to the conference, put your name on it because we are working this week diligently to try to find a larger venue and uh, pray that God would give favor to those making those decisions or to us with those making those decisions so that we might be able to do that. Once we get that, if we do, then we will announce it. We'll remove the uh, sold out status and the wait list status and begin to contact the people on the wait list. But it'll be first come, first serve. So we're starting with number one. One, the number one person on the wait list and working our way all the way down to it. So encourage you to go sign up today. If you have any interest in coming, if you think you can come and God willing in a matter of a few days, we will know whether or not we are able to expand the venue and offer more registrations. Well, we have an election coming up in November, and uh, while every election year is crazy, I don't know that they're quite as crazy as the one that we are presently in. It's going to be a November to remember. It is going to be a November to remember. (laughs) Um, And just legal things are going on everywhere. Um, So we have issues with church-state issues that are going on, churches that are being hindered because of governmental overreach, and and we have uh, all kinds of criminal cases that are going on. People are always talking about justice. we got fires. We have riots. We have all kinds of things going on. And uh, we have two candidates, two primary candidates that are coming up to this November Mm -hmm. election. And we want to talk about how to be a citizen king. What does a Christian do in a constitutional republic? If you're listening to this and you're in the United States, we're Americans, we're Christians. And what are our obligations? What should we do? So we want to dive into that today. Yeah, one of the most uh, important helps to me over now probably 30 years or so in thinking about the Christian responsibility in a constitutional republic is to recognize that this is a government of the people, by the people, for the people. So who is the king in our constitutional republic? It's not the president. It's not the Senate or the congressional leaders. It's not the Supreme Court. The kings in our nation's form of government are its citizens. And so everyone who is a citizen of the United States has responsibility for this government. So if the government goes bad, it's responsibility of the people for 
taking it that way. If it is good, it's the responsibility of the people to maintain it that way. We have that obligation due to what our Constitution says about how we're set up, the separation of powers, the responsibility of individual citizens grouped together, but to make a difference, to have a voice, to try to influence the system of government and the way we will be governed. So with that, you know, we go to the scriptures and we say, okay, does God have any prescriptions for kings? Well, of course he does. And we're not talking about America being a theocracy like Israel was, but kings had responsibilities to rule well, to be just, to be wise, to seek the welfare of the people under their dominion. So in that sense, and our confession of faith says, the 1689 Baptist Confession in chapter 19, paragraph four, says that there are general, there's general equity that arises out of those Old Testament civil codes. Now, the civil codes don't obtain anymore in terms of case law and what we were to do or not do in terms of punishment of violations of those case laws, but those laws were based upon righteousness. They, were, they came from God. Mm-hmm. And so we ought to look at them. We're not under the old economy anymore. We're, we're under the new covenant, and so we recognize the difference of civil magistrate in the new covenant versus the old covenant. But what are the general principles of righteousness, equity mm-hmm. involved in that? So man, as a citizen, I can't just say, ah, you know, it doesn't matter. No, I bear responsibility before God. And as a Christian, I need to own that responsibility. And this has bearing on whether or not I vote. It has bearing on how I use my vote. Mm -hmm. Now, that's just one dimension. You and I have talked about a lot of others, and we want to get into some of those today about how should Christians think regarding the upcoming election. How mm-hmm. should we plan to vote? How should we think about it, pray about it, and then exercise the right and responsibility we have? Yeah. Well, so the general equity thing's significant in a number of ways, not the least of which is just realizing that how we operate as a nation or a state um, cannot be detached from the God who is and the God who has revealed himself uh, in creation and revealed himself in his word. Uh, I wrote a piece, uh, I think it was something like Old Testament's, uh, Israel's Old Testament laws uh, can help America. And so spelled out some of this on general equity. You can find that at founders.org if you want a deeper analysis of it. But um, the confession is very clear that the judicial laws themselves have, are gone. They ended when the Israel economy ended when the old covenant came to an end but the general equity there's there's debates about what it means people try it's just something that in many ways is beyond us but there's a general righteousness to it that is attached to the moral law of god the eternal moral law of god which is the law that is written on man's heart so one of the things i've been thinking about in our own land one of the reasons this is an important conversation is because uh America in general is evidencing a hardened conscience, and the New Testament talks about this. Like you, you have the conscience; uh, all every human being does, and yet our conscience uh, at times needs to be educated. It needs to be educated all the time, so we can actually think something's wrong when it's not really wrong. Right? Right? We can think something's right that is not right, and that has to be educated by divine revelation. What God has revealed in creation, what God has revealed in the Word, and so. When you have a, a given society where the conscience is not as hardened as ours, there's more of an awareness 
too, that eternal moral law of God. People might not call it that. Mm-hmm. People who aren't Christians might not speak that way. But the conscience is there. And then it has a way in a democracy of working itself up into the laws that are going to be established. Well, the more hardened that conscience becomes, the more backward and twisted those laws are going to be as they come up and they're eventually legislated and held to. And I think we're experiencing some of that right now. Yeah, and it's the church's responsibility to preach God's law and God's gospel. Not to confuse them, that happens too often, but to recognize the God who gave us the gospel, gave us the law. He loves his law as much as he loves his gospel. And so we are to proclaim what God says is right and wrong, good and bad, true and false. And we're to hold that up and we're to call people to give an account to the God who's created them, created the world in which they live, and who has given us these standards. Mm -hmm. And we do that not saying, hey, you gotta do these things so you can be good, so you can be right, so you can be uh, just and acceptable to God. No, we, we proclaim those things saying because of sin, none of us does it. None of us can meet it. That's why we need the gospel. There's good news for people who honestly accept the the reality that the God who created us and has told us how to live holds us accountable for failing to live the way that he's called us to live. And the hope for us is that he's full of mercy, he's full of grace, he's given us his son. Jesus came and kept all those commandments perfectly and then suffered on the cross in the place of sinners who do not keep those commandments so that all who trust in him might find acceptance with this God against whom we have rebelled. But consciences are hardened. And why is that? Well, part of the role of the law of God is to restrain sin in the world. And we look at sin breaking out everywhere. Well, it doesn't take much uh, reasonable deduction to recognize, okay, uh, God's law has fallen in the streets. His truth is being ignored. And those of us who are stewards of that truth, I mean, this is the church's fault. This is the church's responsibility to once again begin to teach our people, to disciple our people in these ways of God so that our people might go out into the community wherever they live, however they live, and whatever responsibilities they have in their jobs and their relationships, and live as people who are trusting Christ and obeying the commandments of God. Yeah, I think a lot of Christians, we really have to be willing to make this connection, and it's hard to make this connection, because if you say, well, I'm going to start looking at God's law and paying attention to it and thinking about how it relates to my vote in November, you're like, well, where do I start? Because there is a lot of mess going on, right? Yeah. We're in pastoral ministry, and you can walk into certain counseling situations, and if people have been keeping short accounts, they've been confessing, repenting, forgiving, you know, something pops up, you need help with it, you deal with the sin, and you go on. But sometimes you walk into a situation that has been festering. I mean, yeah, this thing has decades. been so bad, and there's just lists of sin and bitterness and confusion and twistings and, and uh, false witness and all kinds of stuff. Well, I mean, if you look at America right now, mm. it's like, where where do I even start <laughs> yeah. with all of the mess that's going on? So, but the, the danger is then, well, I'm just going to kind of operate without thinking about uh, what could be, what ought to be. I'm just going to kind of, you know, jump on whatever pragmatic things going on, whatever I think was going to be best for the next little season of my right. life was going to benefit me rather than what's going to benefit our actual nation. And you can't go there. Um, one of the key things that stands out is uh, there's a difference between the slaughter of babies and all of the other Everything issues. else, yeah. You, you just, if you're going to take God's word seriously, 
you're going to look at these issues and say, okay, um, you know, can you find somebody that that has a uh, less than sufficient uh, policy on immigration, right, or um, a less than sufficient policy on uh, international um, affairs, all kinds of stuff. Yes, and all of that matters, and we're not saying don't look at it and don't consider it in the light of what God has revealed. If I were going to be teaching a course, you know, mm-hmm. on uh, political science or something like that, all of that stuff bears but abortion is at the top of the list. It is in a distinct category because the magistrate is supposed to take the sword and punish the evildoer. He is not supposed to take the sword and execute the yeah. innocent. And that's that's right. But even before that, I mean, there's just a foundation that we need to get clear uh, to help Christians think about how I vote christianly how i think about myself see yourself as a citizen king recognize god has spoken this is his world and we are accountable to live before him every person is accountable to live before him even unbelievers are accountable to live before him the way god's called them to live again not so they can be accepted by god but because they're going to go to account to god and they need to be pressed to recognize that they fall short and they need his grace in the gospel they need the lord jesus but that fact that they need the lord jesus and their unbelievers does not uh relieve them of the obligation to do what is right and good and true. And, and then another point that you, you spoke on top of, and but underneath it, we need to take what's underneath it and highlight it, is the way to reason biblically and, and have biblical moral reasoning. We've talked about this before. One of, one of the things that I find uh, to be disheartening is to, to see the lack of moral reasoning in the Christian community, even among Christian leaders and Christian theologians. We've seen this with those who tried to address the protests and the riots, you know, that we don't look at what's happening, we look at what's behind it and why they're doing it. And it's just, it's ludicrous. It's like, where did you learn to reason like that? You didn't get it from the Bible. So what what is, uh, what's one significant part of moral reasoning that we need to keep in mind whenever we go and cast our vote? Well, one is that there are degrees Degrees of sinfulness, wickedness, and righteousness. That it's not just a, a, a flip the switch, this is right, this is wrong all the time. Sometimes this is wrong and this is worse. This is bad, this is worse. So removing any sense that you can look at sinful candidates, sinful policies, and say, well, you know, it's morally equivalent. So if I vote for this one, you know, he's a sinner and he's got sinful attitudes and policies. If I vote for this one, well, he's a sinner. He's got sinful attitudes and policies. And that brings us to your point. Mm-hmm. Let's have the conversation. What is more wicked? What is more unrighteous than the slaughter of unborn children. Mm-hmm. And if you read the Democratic platform, which I have done, not I did it months ago, and I've tried to read the updated version recently, and I, I didn't get all the way through it. It's fascinating on multiple levels, but I think there's five or six specific places where they, by name, advocate for abortion, and more than that, with the language of reproductive rights. Man, this is a part of their creed. They are saying we are going to continue the slaughter of innocent unborn children. Mm -hmm. I think if we just change, if we took the word abortion out of the platform and read the platform and inserted every place abortion is listed, the slaughter of unborn humans, 
it would change the way that, that some Christians think about these issues and saying, okay, now I'm going to vote for this guy because, you know, he's a sinner and this guy's a sinner too, so it doesn't really matter. Yeah, and my sense of that is that the things have shifted in our nation, and there was a time in the past where voting for the Democratic candidate was uh, not the same as it is now. Mm-hmm. And even most, I think, within the Christian community, uh, kind of within our circles, are now aware that yeah. it's not an option. I mean, you got people that are that would in the past very quickly say you could that are yeah. now saying you can't right and so we just got to take note that things have changed and so yeah. now's the time to say i'm not going to be voting for someone who's going to advocate the murder of children you know it's it's interesting jared because um, i've used this argument with people that have, that have said just exactly what you said especially back in 2016 and even before that that um you know it's okay you can vote for the democratic party you know even with their abortion language in their platform which has existed for a long time long before this recent uh, election cycle and to try to clarify the argument you know i'd bring up nazi germany or antebellum america and say would it be okay to vote for the party that advocated for slavery would it be okay to vote for the party or to stand with the party that advocated uh, for the annihilation of jewish people and it's, it's oh no not at all but it's okay to vote for and to stand with the party that's going to slaughter unborn innocent mm-hmm. children. And again, I think it's a lack of moral reasoning. And, and, and probably because we've become desensitized to what abortion is. We've just lived with it. I mean, you've never lived in a nation that mm-hmm. hasn't had abortion as a legal right. Mm-hmm. And it behooves the church to get clear again and to speak with decisiveness as to what exactly we're talking about. We're not talking about a reproductive health issue. We're talking about the murder of innocent right. unborn children. Yeah, and you know, there probably are a lot of Christians that are thinking fragmentedly about this. So they think, well, that's an issue, but then there's all these other issues. So right. when you're starting to think about what the job of the civil magistrate is, it's to it's to wield the sword against the evildoer. Right. And so as long as a person is wielding that sword against the innocent, that's at the very core. Yeah. That's at the very heart. And it's going to impact everything else. Right. And so especially, you know, given the recent terrible decision by Gorsuch that he wrote the opinion to, that's going to have all kinds of implications for what's coming down. I mean, there's people now that are saying, you know, I'm an incrementalist still on abortion, but it's time to double down on this and Absolutely. say it has to end in our nation in doing so i mean you think you could end up in short order uh without a choice you you might have two candidates running who are both yeah. pro uh killing children in the womb and so now's the time to say well, yes we're doubling down on it on this issue but as we uh see by god's grace let's pray that we would see this issue turned around then we can turn around other issues that need to be improved as well yeah and let me just add that there's a group of southern baptists who have put together a resolution to end abortion now and we'll link to that in the notes for this episode but they plan to offer a resolution which i would support saying you know we're tired of uh pretending that this is getting better by different policies and procedures we are calling upon states in the united states to say we will no longer allow the slaughter of unborn citizens in our realm and regardless of what the supreme court says regardless of what the federal magistrate says and that's right i mean that's proper we need to do it if we don't address this or if we think that oh yeah abortion is no worse than immigration policies or uh, uh, financial policies you're not reasoning like a Christian. You're not thinking biblically because it, if you don't get that right, 
it doesn't matter how many other policies you get right. And, and it, I would say this even on the issue of those who are uh, talking about uh, re, you know, racism and the uh, racial equality. Look, you know who gets slaughtered more in the womb than any other uh, ethnic group? It's African-Americans. It's the children of African-Americans that get slaughtered way, time, way more than any other ethnic group. So when we, if we're going to talk about systemic racism, we got to start there. And if you're not willing to talk about systemic racism in terms of abortion, don't talk to me that, about your real care for systemic racism because there's nothing more systemically racist than abortion in America. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the confession's helpful here. You referred to it earlier, but chapter 24 of the Second London Baptist Confession it's all, has uh, three paragraphs on the civil magistrate. It might be helpful to kind of look at least at number one is striking. It says, God, the supreme Lord and King of all the world. Notice that right from the beginning. Mm-hmm. God is not just, he's not just Lord of the church. He is Lord of the entire world. He's the creator of the world, and therefore he is actually the king. And that's said, setting up the stage for what is to come. We've referred to this in the the past, but again, we want to recover this sense that God is king and therefore all other kings are underneath his authority. This, our God hath ordained civil magistrates to be under him over the people for his own glory and the public good. And to this end hath armed them with the power of the sword for defense and encouragement of them that do good and for the punishment of evildoers. So this is really a basic setup of Romans 13. You go look at Romans 13, you're going to see the text that supports this kind of idea. Yeah. Um, And I love it. It's the fact that it says, you know, the the civil uh, magistrate has been ordained under God under God. It reminds me of what uh, Thomas Hell was, one of the early English Baptists. He was a general Baptist that separated from John Smith, uh, wrote in his Mystery of Iniquity. Let me just give you this. He's talking about King James I, who was on the throne at that time. The king himself must be subject to King Jesus, who is a heavenly spiritual king who requires spiritual obedience. Uh, England's king, therefore, cannot as king have power over this kingdom, this temple, tabernacle, house of the people of God in respect to the religion of God because of our Lord the king's kingdom as an earthly kingdom. Talking about the civil magistrate. So there it is, man. Yeah. Right and, there. And, you know, he adds Jesus, which is implied, of course, because the God in chapter one or chapter 24, paragraph one is indeed Yahweh, the right. triune God, which is Christ. And that's that's relevant, though. It's pertinent because in our land, in America, we're very used to saying one nation under God. Right? It's <laughs> written on our money. It's in our Pledge of Allegiance and all that. Um, but if you say one nation under Jesus Christ, People They're get like, nervous. Whoa, whoa, <laughs> whoa. That God, we, what we meant is we get to import whatever we want to into God. Right. And you can go have the historical debate about the influence of Christianity at the founding of America, but at least from our brother uh, in the past, he's saying, no, you are under the lordship of jesus christ and right just saying that again implications start to flow and we're gonna need wisdom about those implications yeah so and this again is where general equity comes in because you, god has spoken he set up a theocratic kingdom at one time on earth but he didn't set it up as the ideal this is the way that uh citizen or, or nation should operate in the world everywhere I and mean, that wasn't the point and purpose of old testament israel it was it had a role to play in the coming of jesus christ so it wasn't that God did anything wrong. He didn't do anything wrong in that. So we look at those laws, but we don't try to take those laws and one for one import them into a new covenant era where of, of civil government. But 
but they have general equity. So how do we understand the righteousness behind those laws that were applied in the theocratic kingdom of Israel so that we can learn from them, benefit from them, and see them applied appropriately in a new covenant era in mm-hmm. a nation like America? Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's not easy, and there may be debates and disagreements on how it's done, but we need to be willing to have the debates. And what's happened for so long is I, I think many Christians in their efforts to uh, to be pious have kind of eschewed government and eschewed uh, politics and said, well, you know, that's for another realm, and we're Christians, and we don't concern ourselves with that. Well, granted, you know, the church has not been called to be the state or to uh, have the state acquiesce to it, but the church has been called to proclaim the whole counsel of God. And part of that counsel is the general equity embedded in Old Testament laws. Yeah. And, and you know, there's, in one sense, there needs to be a lot of work done on this, writing done on this, and teaching done on this. Um, and along with that, there needs to be some application of what we already know to be true. Because one way Christians can do this is by taking the things that we know are, are clear, like abortion we mm-hmm. just dealt with, and just standing there and saying, yeah. okay, here's one. Like, let's have a talk about what all might fit into general equity and what all might not. But we know this doesn't. Right. And so we are going to actually do something about it. And this is directly connected to our confession, chapter 24 and paragraph 3. Listen to what it says there. Civil magistrates being set up by God for the ends aforesaid subjection in all lawful things commanded by them ought to be yielded by us in the Lord. Now, notice what it's basically saying. We should yield to what the civil magistrate um, instates in all lawful Lawful. things. Mm -hmm. And so you're immediately going, okay, that means in things that are not lawful, we don't have to yield. In things that are lawful, we do yield. But immediately you say, what law are you talking about? And I think Mm -hmm. some people are struggling right now because they're like, well, if the civil magistrate makes any law, doesn't that make it lawful for me? Is that what's being implied? Well, it's lawful because the civil magistrate said it. It's lawful because we're um, we're um, constitutional republic, and this law is what the citizens of this republic decided to establish. Doesn't that make it lawful? Well, if you're only thinking of the social contract in kind of a humanistic understanding that the only thing we have is human law and will, as it is expressed in the group's statute, well, then this text doesn't even make any sense because it basically says you have to do whatever the group decides. That's not the way Christians operate, though. Things that we're referring to a divine law. We're referring to this eternal moral law of God. And whatever is established civilly has to have some kind of reference to it. It has to be lawful according to that ultimate standard. And where it is, we yield. Where it is not, uh, we are not to Yeah, but we've got to be careful on this because we're not saying, or at least I hope you're not saying, I'm sure you're not saying, that if there's not some kind of revelation that we can directly tie to the specific ordinance then we're free to obey or not obey. And that's not what you're saying, yeah, is it? it's not a direct revelation that has to be tied, as in if you tell me to do anything that is not found chapter and verse in the yeah. Bible, that I am permitted to, to disobey right. it. I don't think that's what the uh, drafters of our confession meant when they said, in all lawful things. Right. Rather, I think what they meant is it is going to have to have some kind of reference to the law of God. I'm going to have to be able to determine whether it's lawful or if it's not lawful. Well, and that's, and, and that determination very often is going to be in the realm of general equity where we can have the debates. Because uh, is it lawful for 
a township to put in red lights at every intersection? You know, is there anything unlawful about that? Could be. Okay. It'd be strange if they start to like put a say they start to put a stoplight not only at every intersection but every five every feet. ten feet yeah because it's for your good yeah <laughs> at so, some point those citizens would probably say I can't actually execute the responsibilities because of these kind of things so there certainly are gray areas but as you said well, they're in the realm of general equity but even when you say they're in the realm of general equity that means we still have to find some way of kind of determining how we operate right and we, we're, we're tied up to divine revelation but what we, God has revealed in general create general revelation and special revelation that's right and we have the debate and so we can decide. Uh, 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 whether 55 mile an hour speed limit or when I was in Montana many, many years ago, there was no speed limit on certain uh, sections mm-hmm. of the interstate. You go as fast as you feel comfortable going. It's, there were signs up for that. So, you know, is one right, one wrong? Is one more righteous, one less righteous? We can have those debates. And so when we're talking about general equity and everything tied to the God who's created the world and his standard of righteousness, we're not saying that if there is a 55 mile an hour speed limit and you think, ah, this isn't righteous, that you're free to break it. Yeah. It's, you're going to have to make sure that it's unlawful. Yeah. Which, how would you do that? So and, and that, that's different. Divine revelation. But, but seeing that is it, making sure it's unlawful is a different matter than making sure that it's lawful. Yeah, and that's we've, the point. We've had this a number of times. Like, so one way we talked about it in the past, and it's important to set this up again. Some people would say, "Well, I'm not going to do anything that the civil master tells me to do unless it is chapter and verse prescribed in the Bible." Well, we know that's not a tenable position to hold, mm-hmm. um, and I don't. I actually don't know a lot of people that actually hold that position, but the more common position seems to me to be, well, I'm just going to kind of do whatever the civil magistrate says to do unless right. there is a clear chapter and verse text that prohibits me from doing it. Right. And that's not a tenable position either. Right. And we're having to deal with that. That that seems to be the thrust of what people are dealing with right now, because we're dealing with leaders who are establishing arbitrary standards, like it's happening to John MacArthur out there in California. He's experiencing yeah. this. The church is experiencing this. And a lot of good conscience Christians, I mean, they're just good people. They think, I don't want to be a rebel. You know, yeah. I don't I don't want to be this person shaking my fist. And, you know, I don't know. I think Martin Luther is probably a little aggressive when he nailed those <laughs> those things. I mean, I probably wouldn't have done it. And people are in that position. And we have to help those people to say, OK, yeah, it doesn't. You, the laws don't get to be arbitrary, but yeah. don't have a high mind when you start to determine whether they're arbitrary. Be humble about it. Be prayerful about it. Talk with other people about it. Consider it. Uh, is this something that we can do? And when those decisions come upon a community, don't judge your brother or your sister if you're in the gray area mm-hmm. for going a different way than you do. Yeah, and and part of that deliberation needs to include the uh, the way the magistrates who are handing down the edicts themselves respond. Mm-hmm. So when you hear Nancy Pelosi going has gone to a hair salon without a mask after lecturing everybody to always wear a mask, you you ought to, if you're a thinking person, say, hmm, I wonder if something else is going on here about this legislation. Is it really for the public good? Whenever you hear Gavin Newsom saying, oh, in California, you know, you can't meet except under these conditions and you must wear masks and you must socially distance and then say, but it's okay for the Black Lives Matter protesters to go out there and to riot and to protest and destroy because they're doing it for a good cause. You ought to be saying, whoa, wait a minute. is, Is this tyranny? Yes, it's tyranny. It's yeah. tyranny, and Christians ought to stand against tyranny. Yeah, we should you know, underscore this one more time for folks, because Christians uh, generally are just going to be operating knowing that there's a God in heaven and knowing that there are limits to their uh, civil obedience. Like mm-hmm. we're, we're, we, we really, 
while we thank God for a constitutional republic, and you know, in a fallen world, we're talking about this is a great model. I don't know what the next two thousand years will bring if we'll find yeah. even more improvements on it. But I thank God that I'm in this model that we're in. But there are two very different ways to operate within that model. And again, if you're not a Christian, and there is no divine law, there is no ultimate standard. You really are operating with saying, well, I'll continue to partake in this society um, as long as I am willing to uh, obey the laws that this society, the people of this society have established. There, That's the only law. And mm-hmm. if you get to the point where you think, well, I don't want to obey it, well, maybe I'll move. I'll get out of here. You know, people are talking about that now. We're going to leave America because Trump's about to get elected. I'm going to leave California. <laughs> it's happening. People are leaving California. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a good, that's a good move. Um, I don't know about the previous one. I don't think that's such a good move. But that's all they have. They So they would not even be able to understand confession 24-3. Right. Because it's like, what do you mean in all lawful things that are commanded? It's like, that aren't they, there is no higher law. Yeah. In Christians, we are going, okay, again, I think in so many ways, I know the Southern Baptist Convention and the history was asleep on this. I mean, you're dead asleep on this if you're going to be kind of saying things that are pro-abortion as we've resolved Absolutely. in the past. You just haven't been thinking in these categories. Um, Time and Klein has written some great articles at founders.org, mm-hmm. so search his name there, and you can find him talking about this hierarchy of laws. You have kind of laws that are nested within greater laws, and at some point, if those human laws are clearly contradictory, that's when a time of diso- disobeying will have to come out of obedience to Christ, and that will be a way of being a good citizen king. That's right. And when you're called upon to do that, do that willing to suffer the consequences for your disobedience to the civil magistrate. Be willing to go to jail. Be willing to pay the fine. Be willing to have your life disrupted because you're doing it on principle. And and boy, this is uh, huge, again, to recognize, okay, while we seek to stand against unjust laws or unjust administration of laws, we must be willing to suffer the consequences as we seek to change them. You know, one of the things we've tried to do here at Founders over the last uh, couple of years especially is to highlight confessionalism. I remember, you know, years ago we sat down with the board and we said, man, what do we want to do? And there were three things we wanted to emphasize going forward. One of them was confessionalism. So we just cited the uh, uh, Confession of Faith in um, – chapter 24 and chapter 19. And and if you don't have a copy of this, you can get this at founders.org. It's excellent. It's a good little Bible study. And this whole idea of general equity, which needs to be resurrected again, and it needs to become a, a way of thinking about how God has spoken through Old Testament civil laws as we try to think about how to live best in this new covenant era. But the danger with that is that people will get you know, just lazy or sloppy, and they'll begin to think, well, you know what, the government ought to be trying to uh, help us as a church. The government ought to be trying to promote Christianity. And so here's the second paragraph in uh, the 24th chapter of the Second London Confession of Faith. It says, it is lawful for Christians to accept and execute the the office of a magistrate when called thereunto. So that that was a disagreement with Anabaptists who said, well, you can't be a magistrate and be a Christian because largely the church and state were wed. And so if you're going to be a magistrate, then you had to try to enforce the consciences of people. You would dictate their consciences. You can't do that. And so they say you can't be a magistrate. Well, Baptists are saying, given what we understand the government's role to be and its limitations, yes, Christians can 
execute the office of a magistrate in the management whereof they ought especially to maintain justice and peace according to the wholesome laws of each kingdom and commonwealth so for that end they may lawfully now under the new testament wage war upon just and necessary occasions now what's striking in this paragraph the the framers of the 1689 confession the second london said we want to follow as much as we can both the westminster confession and the savoy declaration we're not trying to uh, come up with new ideas. We don't have any kind of itch to, to make a new uh, statement where it's not necessary. We agree with our Christian Protestant brothers. But when you go to the Westminster Confession, there is a word that is included that is left out of the Second London Confession. Here's the way the Westminster reads in that paragraph. It says, in the management, managing thereof as a magistrate, they ought especially to maintain not just justice and peace, but piety, justice, and peace, according to the laws of each commonwealth. The Baptists said, no, we're not going to put that in the realm of what the magistrate's responsibility is. The magistrate does not have responsibility to try to promote the piety of God's people or, or any people. They're not to be in the work of the church. That's significant. Yes. I, you know, we've got a lot of Presbyterian friends. Tom writes for Table Talk. But I can hear some of them going, hey, now, you got to read the other part of it, that they're not to be involved in matters of faith. And we'll grant that. Okay, you, you said that afterwards. But you did say piety, and we can't help but interpret a little bit of what's going on in the American version from what was going on back in, what, 1647. Because then the language was, was even uh, beefier. Yeah. And we got some problems with what was going on back there, where you essentially were bringing in the civil magistrate to deal very clearly in that confession with church matters. Absolutely. Even things of like discipline and things like that. So yeah. it's like, we, we don't want, uh, we want Donald Trump to do what Donald Trump Trump's supposed to do in the civil realm, but we're not going to be bringing them in to deal with ecclesiastical matters. That's and right. Granted, I think there's probably most Presbyterians I know are not really wanting to do that nowadays, but it was something that happened in the past. And yeah. We're dealing with very two distinct spheres. Here. Not, Is there some overlap? Well, yeah, we've already discovered that there's some overlap. One of the one of the things we might say is it's because we didn't like the 1647 that Gavin Newsom doesn't need to be telling John MacArthur what to do in his church, which yeah. is actually happening right here in America. Yeah, and I want to just say this, man. I mean, I applaud our Presbyterian brothers uh, for moving beyond the 1647 language on this part, you know, on this point. Uh, you know, you've kind of catch up with the Baptists on this issue. We're grateful for that as you kind of come closer to what we are saying there. And again, you're right. I mean, our, our Presbyterian friends today, they recognize that the 1647 language at this point is problematic. Not all of them. I mean, there, there are some good uh, conscientious Presbyterians that say, no, that's exactly what ought to be done. But Baptists have died for this principle of religious freedom and of uh, conscience not being dictated to by any external force, not only because it is sinful, but because it is impossible. You cannot dictate another person's conscience. You know, a man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. And so you can execute laws, you can execute people, but you cannot coerce a conscience. And Baptists have recognized that, they've stood for that, and contended that, no, what we ought to strive for is a church that is free to operate according to the dictates of the Lord Jesus Christ in a state that is free from the encumbrances of those that would try to uh, overreach beyond what Christ has ordained for the state to do. Yeah, back when you had these issues, there was a, a greater consensus among the people about what constituted religion. And so when you right. say freedom of religion, the problems we're facing now with 
kind of our modern situation is that word has been vacated of all of its meaning. And so people are saying, well, my religion is to do this. My religion is to do that. And it includes homosexuality or polygamy. And I should be able to get the same rights that everybody else does. If you have a right for a tax exemption because of being married to a woman, I should be able to have the tax exemption for being married to someone that's the same sex as me. And um, so we're going to have lots of issues there to deal with. Mm-hmm. But as they're one of the ways that we're that Christians are continually dealing with that is say, no, 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 because in the civil realm, right, the king is under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And therefore, he's going to be looking to the general equity. He's going to be looking to the eternal moral law of God and thinking about what, uh, how is that going to inform the society in which we live. So the point is, as we recover the truth that Jesus Christ is king, not only of the church, but the world, he is king over uh, kings. Don't uh, interpret that as saying that those earthly kings in the civil realm are somehow over the church. Right. No, 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 no. Two distinct realms, both under the lordship of Christ, with different implications of the lordship of Christ in both realms. That's right. And don't interpret it to say that the civil magistrate has the responsibility to maintain piety or to punish the impious because of their blasphemies or because of their heresies, uh, which has happened. No, that's not the lane that God has given to civil magistrates in the New Covenant era. Yeah, and and, and you're going to have liberals, primarily, that are going to object that that kind of thing is done, that, that the civil magistrate is favoring Christianity, when in reality the civil magistrate might not be favoring Christianity. Right. So, for example, if there is an incentive to... Uh, a man marrying a woman. Well, where does that idea come from? God. Yeah. Where does that idea come from? Ah, the Christian Bible, right? And so if the magistrate is actually not saying, I'm not favoring Christianity just for Christianity's sake, right? Yeah. But I'm looking to that uh, eternal moral law of God, and I'm looking to conscience where that eternal moral law of God is written, and I'm considering general equity by even just, looking... Just general revelation, just yeah, nature. Looking at all that, and, and in, in all of these other ways that he has revealed himself as well. And I'm saying, yeah, this is the right thing to do. Well, it's true that Christians are going to be on that side, and therefore they're going to reap the benefits mm-hmm. of that kind of decision. But that doesn't mean necessarily that your civil magistrate was favoring it's Christianity. Christianity. And that's going to happen, That's especially in our secular society, increasingly secular, where, where yeah. I want to be able to um, support those governors and those legislators who are looking to general equity and are about to take a lot of punches. I mean, a lot of punches. I don't know how, you know, we, we talk about, I don't know how you be a pastor and not be in trouble for kicking over idols in the pulpit constantly today. I don't know how you could be a governor or a legislator or a Supreme Court justice or any of that and, and rule justly in the fear of God and mm-hmm. consider uh, this general equity principle and not be assaulted, not be absolutely overcome. So part of our responsibility is to hold up these truths so that we can help people say, yeah, this person is actually going to do good, going to do what is just, going to do what is right. And that's going to be defined by somebody and ultimately is going to be defined by God. Yeah. And to your point about uh, it look like benefiting Christians or ruling in favor uh, for the principles of Christians, the same God who's given us the gospel, who's ordered the church, is the God who created the world and who's told us what is right, wrong, good, bad, true, false. And so whenever you have civil magistrates operating in the lane that God's prescribed for them, not trying to dictate into the church, but trying to maintain uh, principles of equity, 
principles of righteousness. In the civil arena, well, the God who's told us how to live in the church and given his son, the Lord Jesus, to us, we are going to appreciate that. This is the same God. So it's not like he's got two different standards. No, he's got one standard, but this civil magistrate has limitations on what he is to do as a civil magistrate. Now, as a person, he's obligated to bow to King Jesus. He is obligated to come to God and to fear God and to trust Christ and to be reconciled to God. As a ruler, as somebody who's making laws, uh, he is not to try to uh, rule in a way that will dictate the consciences of people on matters of their relationship to God or the corporate nature of the church as the people of God. Mm-hmm. That's not his responsibility, and he needs to stay in his lane on that. So if we can make those distinctions, I think it'll help us to, to move further along the road in having these kind of conversations. Understanding that we can disagree with good, thoughtful Christian brothers and sisters who are, st- are trying to sort it out themselves, but may not come down exactly where we do. Yeah, and I'm hopeful that most Christians hearing that will say, yeah, that makes sense. Um, again, and it's the difference between dictating the conscience and dictating your morality, meaning you're not going to be able to go out there and steal from people. Right. <laughs> I can, modern man says, you know, well, Tom said you're supposed to dictate my conscience, man. My conscience wanted to steal. You, like, you, no, so. you can want to steal. You just can't do it. <laughs> That's, right. That's the difference. So there's absolutely going to be a line, but that's that line's not going to be drawn up in church matters. You don't come up and you start saying, well, you know, I'm the civil magistrate, and so here's who can take the Lord's Supper, and here's who can't take the mm-hmm. Lord's Supper. And this is, a, not. this is a problem with hate crimes, quite honestly. It's a problem with hate speech. So now then, the magistrate is trying to go beyond what citizens do and say, ah, oh, why you did it. They're trying to dictate the conscience, and it is wrong-headed, and we've already seen it, and we're going to see more of this. It's happened in Canada, and it's going to come here to the United States as well, where these hate crimes, hate speech, become like a, a, a cavernous opening for the government to overreach and to try to dictate into the consciences of individuals creating God's image, which they have no business doing. Yeah. Now is the time to be a citizen king. Now is the time to take responsibility, uh, not only for ourselves and for our families, but for this, our states and our nation. We really need to do that. There's just tumultuous out there. And uh, hopefully this uh, podcast has helped you as you think through what are some of my responsibilities, just an initial work. Do check out the articles that have been mentioned for a little deeper dive into this. And we hope that this has resourced you well as you seek to live faithfully following the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you don't have this confession, get it. You can get it from founders.org. And it is a wonderful study guide. It's a wonderful tool to get into the scripture, to think about these things, particularly if you look at chapters 24 and chapter 19. But the whole confession is worthwhile. We also say thank you to our family members as well. Man, the Founders uh, Alliance members, you guys have helped us to continue to do what we're doing. We've got Wield the Sword, which uh, we're just weeks away. It's going to be in October that episode one will drop. We've seen rough cuts of that, and that's just about finished. Thank you so much for helping us to get that out right now we have a matching gift going it will not uh, continue through the end of the year but i think through the middle of november and if you can contribute to wield the sword to help us get episode two or uh, season two off the ground that would be greatly appreciated again go to founders.org click wield the sword you can read all about that there and every gift you give will be doubled between now i think it's november the 15th and we appreciate that very much